But we are joining today, we are forming a league today to talk about <laughs> Zack Snyder's Justice League. So, hello everyone, um, I'm Darren, I'm joined with by Anija, Gerald and Maggie. Say hello everyone. Hello. 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 Yeah, and today we are talking about probably one of the most um, unexpected films of... <laughs> Like, probably one of the most unexpected films ever, really, right? This is not a film that I would have thought would ever have been made. I thought um, DC had made Justice League with Joss Whedon a few years ago, and that was the end of that. It was not a particularly good film. It was a bad to mediocre film, I would say. Um, And that was it. It was kind of like they decided to do this sort of weird, non-joined-up DC universe instead. And now, um, all of a sudden, with the launch of HBO Max, they decided to um, acquiesce to all the fans. Like, I don't really know who they were, but there were apparently a lot of fans who really wanted to see Zack Snyder's original vision of Justice League. And for whatever reason, Warner or whoever their parent company is decided to give the green light to this. And here we are in this weird parallel universe in which a film that was already released now gets basically remade um, and the director's vision gets released. Like, I I personally think that is a good thing. Um, I think it's bizarre, but I think it's a pretty good thing. But here we are. We're going to talk about Zack Snyder's version of the Justice League. Um, So just as a heads up, everyone... Um, listening, this is going to be a full spoilers podcast, so, you know, go watch this four-hour film. It's, it's a film in a loose... It's a loose definition of a film in that it's four hours long. It's whatever... <laughs> whatever it is, it's four hours long, right? So go watch this... Go watch it first, or, you know, if you don't want to watch the four hours, you can listen to us, but we're going to be talking full spoilers today. Um, so, yeah, like, let's... Why don't we start by just going around the table and giving, basically, do we think this is better than the Joss Whedon Justice League? Zack Schneider's Justice League, do we think this is a better film than Joss Whedon's Justice League? And did you actually kind of enjoy this film? And then maybe after that initial talk, we can sort of delve into it and sort of peel back the layers of the sort of Zack Snyder elements in this film, right? But should we go around the table? Like, who wants to go first? Why don't I go first? I've been speaking anyway. I'll I'll go first. I thought that this was a much better film than the Joss Whedon Justice League. Um, I mean, it is four hours long, so I I hesitate, as I said, to really call it a film. Um, it feels, to be honest, like a mini series that was kind of jammed together into a single piece. But overall, like I felt, the plot was actually much stronger. I thought that was slightly more character development, not heaps, but slightly more character development. But overall, it was a much more coherent story. And I thought it was like a genuinely tense story at times, right? Like it wasn't a guaranteed victory for kind of the heroes. So yeah, like overall, like I I thought this was a much, much better, more interesting, more coherent vision, clearly, than the Joss Whedon Justice League. And 
yeah, I, I kind of like it. I, I think I'm predisposed to like it, mainly because at the end of the day, I really like this idea of creator-driven vision, right? I, I Like, increasingly, I really hate... I really dislike these these films that get pumped out with, like, sort of studio, like, manipulation or studio um, interference. And sometimes you can really see that, right, when a film has been sort of processed in focus groups, right? And this film does not feel like it's been processed through a focus group. It feels 100% Zack Schneider, right? For better or worse, it's 100% Zack Snyder. So, yeah, like... To that end, I'm predisposed to kind of liking this film. I know that this is not a perfect film, and we can go into the details about why this is actually actually quite a flawed film as well. But overall, I liked it. I liked it in 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 the same way that I kind of liked Venom, maybe a little bit more than Venom, but yeah, in that sort of way, right? Not a particularly deep film. Didn't feel like a strong emotional reaction to it, but overall, a pretty fun sort of, well, a pretty tense plot and like it was a superhero film and there were explosions and that sort of thing so I, I thought that was okay um who's next who do you guys agree with me disagree with me who who wants to shoot next no i i totally agree um it was uh, it was more enjoyable than the version that we saw at the movies but it's really hard to compare just because no film gets to be four hours long so in a way i feel like it's cheating a little bit um but look it had some really strong emotional moments it had some beautifully shot scenes um it yeah i I agree with what you said that it's not obvious there's going to be a happy ending or what the outcome is going to be um in the given the way it's shot so um, it, yeah, it was more enjoyable, but to a degree, I would say I enjoyed it to a degree just because it is so long and it feels like it's going to end so many times <laughs> that it's actually a lot of, it feels laborious to re-energize yourself for the next act when you feel like you're approaching a climax. <laughs> yes, I, I get, I get See, what Kiki is feeling right now. Yeah, the film yeah, does drag yeah. on. <laughs> Yeah. I agree with Kiki. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I'm happy to go next. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, overall, I mean, I, I went in with zero expectations and that the um, Josh Whedon version of Justice League, to me, really didn't make any sense and was quite incoherent. So, I suppose in comparison to a low bar, um, it was above that low bar. Um uh, agree it was entertaining um not particularly intellectual did it make me buy into the characters and the franchise more um slightly but not enough to switch allegiances from the avengers and marvel to justice league um there are you know some points which were going for it like the um, fight scenes um but overall i, I think um you know Comparing it to Josh Whedon's version is is probably <laughs> a lot of things would be better than it. Did you like it though? Just on an absolute level, without the comparison to Josh Whedon Justice League, did you like this film? Um, well, I guess for me, when I think about what, what if something sticks in my mind and I'm thinking about it, and it and I feel like. I want to watch it again or watch the next um, installment. Hmm. That's a 
those are signs to me that I like a film or I like a franchise and I didn't have any of those and I also forgot about it after I finished watching mm, it. So. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> okay. Okay. Hmm. Well, that's good. Um, Jerry? Yeah, I, look, I, I found it very, very difficult to respond to the film without also responding to the way that Whedon and Snyder are now respectively perceived. So mm. in the years since Whedon's version of the Justice League came out, we've since learned that Joss Whedon is, well, is, is according to many people, an abusive bully on set, whereas Zack Snyder was a really great guy who had to step away from this movie because of an absolutely heart-wrenching family tragedy. Um, namely the, the death by suicide of his, of his daughter, Autumn. Um, so I'm not entirely sure that my more sympathetic response to this version of the movie is actually a response to the movie on its merits so much as it is a response to the respective filmmakers. But like everyone else, I thought this was a vast improvement on the theatrical cut, which was, like, to be honest, a piece of shit. Um, and this wasn't the sort of steaming turd that the theatrical cut was. I mean, it's by no means a masterpiece, but at the at, at least with the breathing room that was given it, and once you sort of make allowances for some of the, you know, customary Zack Snyder overindulgence in bits of the movie, like most prominently the the nightmare flash forward in the epilogue. Um, once you make allowances for that, it's not unenjoyable and. To call it coherent is probably putting it a bit high, but at the same time, um, it certainly made a hell of a lot more sense than the than the first than the theatrical than the theatrical cut, and it was good to see that some of the less prominent characters in the theatrical theatrical cut, namely Cyborg and the Flash, actually had character arcs rather than being sort of disposable pieces of background furniture, which they were in the original version. So you know. Zack Snyder will always be, in my mind, um, a director who combines the adolescent sensibilities of Michael Bay with the fetish for slow motion of a John Woo, all in desaturated colours. But once you make allowances for his idiosyncrasies, I think this is actually comparatively one of the more enjoyable of his movies. Yeah, yeah. I, I, look, I, I would agree. I, I think this, this film is kind of like, though, in some ways... In the past, I've talked with you, Jerry, about how I feel that sometimes Zack Schneider is quite adolescent in his approach to comic books, and I, I kind of still agree with that, but for whatever reason, I think you're right. Given the context of everything that has happened to him and around this whole franchise of films, like increasingly, I kind of look at that, you know, what I previously would have seen as like a major failing and kind of see it more as a like an idiosy a lovable idiosyncrasy right <laughs> rather than like a, a like a failing in his filmmaking so yeah i think you're right jerry the context here definitely for me anyway has skewed my view of how i kind of see this film yeah yeah um okay look let's 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 kind of delve into the film a little bit, right? Like, I, I kind of... Why don't we... So, I think there's a few things that we can kind of discuss here, right? I, I think that we can kind of discuss kind of like the film itself, the plot, whether we kind of felt like an emotional connection to it, what we thought within the plot worked and what we thought didn't kind of work. And I, I think there's... And then, I think separately, there is a whole other discussion around the sort of 
the sort of the structure of the film and also the Zack Snydery elements of the film, right? So what I mean by that is that the film itself is like a weird film because it's super long, it's broken down into these parts, and it's also form- filmed in like four by three aspect ratio, which is bizarre, right? Um, and then and then on top of that, you also have these like special Zack Snyder touches that sort of run throughout the film and you know I, I kind of like even though I do have quite a lot of goodwill to, towards Zack Snyder right now I, I personally would like to have a little bit of a chat about those because I, I don't think all of those work and in particular I think Anagen noted that this film does suffer a little bit from like if you guys remember the last Lord of the Rings film like Return of the King it ran for like an hour, an hour and a half too long. And, and it had about 17 endings. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like this this film also suffers from that complex, right? So, um, yeah. Anyway, look, wh- why don't we start with the film itself, right? Like, I'll, I'll start by talking about what I liked about the film, right? I, I genuinely thought that this was... Um, look, I take Jerry's point that the plot is not... It's a comic book plot, right? So at the end of the day, it's not really going to make super huge amounts of sense. It's not like, you know, it's not grounded in reality at all, right? And it's kind of weird here because Snyder takes such a sort of dark approach to things, but then he has, like, the plot itself is so out there, right? Like, if you think about it, I I mean, this plot is basically about aliens invading the Earth. They have, like, this, these three piece, these three boxes that they're going to put together to... basically form a, like, a nuclear, or, I don't know, some device that's instantly going to vaporize the Earth and eliminate all life on it, right? Like, um, and really, this film is, like, even though it's got, like, eight acts or whatever it is, there's three main acts in this film. This film starts with, basically, Batman and Wonder Woman trying to find people to help them fight this incoming invasion because they know that these, like, the, the three nuclear weapon elements, well, the three mother boxes have kind of awoken and they've summoned people to, to kind of Earth, right? So there's, like, this first bit, which is them trying to gather the team together, right? And it, that kind of, that section of the plot kind of ends in their first battle with Steppenwolf. Um, Steppenwolf, who is, you know, the same villain as the person from the Justice League, but actually also seems completely different as well, right? Both visually, and they gave him a little bit more of a backstory, which I, I thought, it's not huge, but it was better than what they had before, right? And then you he's have Act 2... No, go, Jerry. He's now middle management. Yeah, he is. He's, he's basically just like, he's a, he's, he's a guy who has kind of disappointed his boss and is desperately trying to, like, impress his boss. That's who he is, right? So it's fine. I mean, it's better than what we got in like Josh Redden Justice League, which was, he was just like, he didn't even have that. Like, he didn't even have that sort of, like, cursory semblance of a backstory, right? So, yeah, like, I think Steppenwolf is a slightly more, like, engaging character. Not still he's, like, a kind of big, dumb, like, (laughs) big, dumb bad guy, right? But still, I mean, it's kind of like you have slightly more sympathy for him, I guess, because you know that he's trying to impress his boss, right? And then you have Act 2 of this thing, which is, which I, th- I personally think is the weakest act of this film, which is where they try to resurrect Superman, because they kind of realise that, uh, like, for them to stop Steppenwolf um, in his plan to sort of gather these three mother boxes, 
they they need Superman, right? Because basically they realize that no matter how much they hide the last mother box, Steppenwolf is eventually going to find it, so they have to actually neutralize him some way. And their view is that the only way to do that is to resurrect Superman. Now, for me, this is where kind of the plot kind of breaks down a little bit, because there is a huge logical leap for me from, well, hang on, like, okay, so we're going to get a team to try to fight these guys to, okay, we're going to try to bring someone back from the dead. Like, that's kind of... For me, like, that plot, plot beat is really kind of bizarre, right? I know they kind of had that plot beat in the Josh Whedon Justice League as well, and I didn't really like it there either, right? So th- there's Act 2, where they're basically trying to bring back Superman, and then there's Act 3, which is, like, the big climactic fight scene, which is they the entire team get together and they go to um, the... There's, like, some... I think it's in Russia or some, some nuclear, there's been a nuclear accident. This is where like Steppenwolf has set up his base, right? So Steppenwolf has gathered all three mother boxes and they go to this location to um, enact a plan to basically stop him from getting these mother boxes. And in my mind, this climax, this act three climax, this is where this film is vastly superior to the judge. Like, and I'm happy to have discussion about this, but in my opinion, that, that climax sequence is vastly superior because one, everybody, every t- member of the Justice League, with possibly the exception of Batman, I guess, has a role in the climactic fight scene. Like, they all are there to do something, right? For this plan to work, they all have to do something and they have to work together as a team. My memory of the Josh Whedon Justice League is that basically that was not really what happened. Like, in the Josh Whedon Justice League... Um, Basically, that climactic fight scene was just Superman coming in and Superman did everything, right? Everyone else was just extraneous. In this film, everyone has a role. And this plan is also portrayed in a way that is very tenuous, right? Like, it's like any part of this plan falls apart, this whole thing goes under, right? So there is a real sense of tension that goes throughout this final climax scene. Um, Yeah, and then finally, like, I mean, uh, spoiler, I mean, this is a spoiler podcast, but, like, the reality is that even when Superman comes to help, even though Superman is able to beat up Steppenwolf really easily, it doesn't change the fact that they actually failed in their plan in the first time round, and they need, like, Flash needs to basically run back in time in order to, like, save the plan, right? So, I think that was really done well, because it puts these guys as there's almost an underdog element, right? There's like, this this thing is not guaranteed to kind of work. And I thought that was really good, right? And I thought that final, that Act 3 was, yeah, as I said, I thought this was, Act 3 was a much better conclusion to this than the original. Um, and then there's actually an Act 4, but I think we can talk about that in the Zack Schneider portion of this podcast because the Act 4 is basically this extended epilogue where... Zack Snyder goes nuts and just starts fan servicing all over the place, right? So that's that. So yeah, so for me, I, I thought that this plot, um, it was a much better plot. It made more sense. I, I think the bad things within it for me were that I, I, I thought the dialogue was still very poorly written. And um, I'd like to get Anage's view on this, actually. I, I, I personally didn't really have a strong emotional connection to any of the characters, right? Um, and I guess my point here would be more, if I remember 
how I felt when I watched Avengers Infinity War or Avengers Endgame, right? There were, like, scenes in Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame where, even though I knew it was a dumb superhero film, there was, like, a genuine emotional response from me, right? While in this Zack Snyder's Justice League, there was never a moment where I was like, oh, there's a genuine deep emotional resonance with this character or this scene or anything like that, right? Um, even with a character like Cyborg, which I think who is meant to bring that sort of human element, I guess, to this, like, I, I didn't really feel that strong connection there. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I agree. The emotional, I guess what I was talking about, I'll, I'll, I'll expand on it. I completely agree. I did not emotionally connect with any of the characters, and that's actually why I find Justice, Justice League so frustrating as a film to watch. It's not rewarding because of that lack of emotional connection. So Cyborg, that's a great complex um deep backstory but it annoys me so much that they're just introducing a character i've never seen before in a superheroes coming together kind of movie that it kind of prevents me from even being open to connecting with him and i really don't think i could connect in just the few minutes that you've got allocated to this brand new character anyway um wonder woman you already know i just don't think she's a good actor and so she just can't connect with me i'm sorry i just I, i love her in many ways, but acting-wise, she just doesn't, she never connects with me. Um, in terms of Lo- Lois, and Cl- Lois and Clark, yeah. I said to Gerald, I actually think uh, Clark has more of a, more chemistry with his mother. More <laughs> <laughs> Even sexual chemistry with his mother, like the sparks, there's just more, you know, of that with his mum um, than with 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 Lois, and so there's there's nothing there for me either, and I just really don't like this iteration of Batman. So I'm not feeling that from the, the characters. Um, I guess what I meant by emotional moments is that the story and the plot line is written in a very emotionally draining kind of way at times, right? Some of the, 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 the issues they're dealing with. So, like, for, for example, Cyborg is a good one. The plot is an emotionally draining one. Um, the, the loss of Superman and how his mother, the world, his, his girlfriend deal with it and struggle to deal with it and don't deal with it, all of that stuff is it's, it's emotionally draining and complex. But because I'm not feeling it for the characters and I'm annoyed with the movie in, in many respects, um, it's not the payoff isn't there and you know the problem my problem with why i don't like this movie is it's it doesn't have a sense of humor and it can't because it's written in this way to rely on like emotionally deep draining kind of plots so it can't really bring in a sense of humor it just wouldn't fit there um but it just doesn't deliver on the emotional side because we're not invested in the characters. Mm. So I, to me, that's its major kind of weakness and why I actually, like I can say that this is a good movie and I can say it's definitely better than the original and I won't say I didn't enjoy watching it, but I also can't say I loved watching it and that would be why. Yeah, look, I, I 100% agree with what you just said there, Anna Like, I, What I would say is that you're right in that all the characters are like deep, like it's like angsty, right? Everyone's got so much angst. Everyone just sits there and broods, right? Like, it's basically right, like 
the way they wrote this film was, okay, in order to inject emotion, I'm just going to make everyone a super angsty teenager. So instead of having like five different characters, they basically just have variations on Batman. Right? Like, as in, that sort of Batman, dark, brooding, like, you know, the world, like, I've got so much angst, there's, like, there's so much sort of heaviness going on in my world, right? That sort of, and it's done in a way where it's that sort of, like, for me, anyway, like, this is a way I interpret it, which is, it's done in a way where it's kind of that teenage angst, angst yeah. which is very superficial. But yeah. when you kind of, like, delve beneath the surface, it's like, I, does it actually warrant this level of brooding? Like... Yeah, matters to you. It's not mattering to me watching. Yeah, exactly, exactly. (laughs) It obviously matters to the characters. It's not mattering to me though. Yeah, 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 yeah. It 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 feels like in some ways, like I mean, it feels a lot Zach. It feels very Zach Schneider. That sort of teenage brooding sort of emotion where everyone is just a variation of like dark Batman, right? So like this is actually one of the great ironies of this film for me, where. It's kind of like all of the characters, even the, like... Because, you know, like, this is the crazy thing, right? Like, in some variations of the DC universe, Cyborg is not a horribly brooding character, right? Like, he's actually quite a fun character in some variations. Like, if you watch Cyborg in Teen Titans, he's freaking awesome, right? Like, he kind of has fun, right? But, like, (laughs) here, he's just like... <laughs> he's, he's it's too just, much. It's too much. Yeah. yeah, he's so humorless and heavy, right? Um, yeah, it's yeah. It, it, it as I said, it, the great irony of this film, in in my mind, is that they wrote everyone as Batman, but yet I don't feel like they really got who Batman really was either, right? Because it was like the guy who was playing Batman in this film, like not Ben Affleck, but the way Batman's character was written was not Batman. Like, it was... It didn't feel like a Batman that I connected with, right? At all. He was a guy... Yeah, it was... was He was like a filler. He just seemed... Yeah, Max, Max, I think you have something to add about this, right? Gerald says he was the Punisher. Yes, correct. Mags? I... Like, I described Batman as their project manager. You know, his job was to pull the team together... Yes, he's just filler. He's just, yeah. He's yeah. <laughs> like, so make sure that you're there on time, you know, everybody has their water bottle. Yeah, he um, organizes the transport is. for them. Yeah, <laughs> he, like, makes sure the plane is fueled and is working. And, you know, just in case he's there with a plan B and some, you know, orange slices. Yeah, that's it. That's right, yeah. <laughs> He's yeah. like Brad Pitt in the Oceans movie, but without the good looks, charm, and the sense of humour. <laughs> so he's not Brad Pitt. No. <laughs> <laughs> so nothing like Brad Pitt. <laughs> but also, like, just to your point about broody, you know, um, humorless, all the... Um, when they when he was trying to create you know the backstory and the themes of each separate character, he had um, different music and a different sort of slow mo um, angle and different kind of sweeping shots for Aquaman and Wonder Woman and the Flash and so on, mm. and it all felt like really stylized. It felt like a stylized um, uh, music video, but mm. done by you know like a high school film club um, entry to a film competition. So I I don't 
I don't think it, it added anything, even though I suspect that might have also been part of the marketing, maybe, to create that kind of following behind each character. You know, you can like the song, you can like the style yeah. of the woman or the flash or so on, but I'm not sure that was very effective yeah look I, I i look to your point i i definitely agree that there were moments here in this film where the music selection was felt really bizarre right like i mean there are great music moments and like i stand by the fact that you know if whatever happens with this warner brothers universe like that wonder woman theme is now the wonder woman theme that's a freaking amazing mm. theme every time that comes on you get pumped for mm. like action right it's a good theme yeah but then there's these other bizarre, like, there's a scene where Aquaman goes back into the ocean or something, and there's, like, some weird, like, folk rock, like, Jeff Buckley style. I'm not a music expert, right? But it just feels like, why is this music playing in the background? It's so weird. You know, it's the first, you know, there's, it, it, I know the exact scene. And let me know if you agree or disagree. It's a scene where, like, basically, um,. <laughs> At the beginning, when Batman goes to find Aquaman at this the fishing village or whatever, and then he takes off his kit, like, Momoa takes off his kit, and he kind of walks back into the ocean, and then they start playing this weird folk song thing in... And, like, one of the girls from the village starts smelling his shirt. It was such a bizarre scene. <laughs> I was like, what is oh, yeah. going on here? <laughs> I remember that. It, they, they were... It was like a folk... Um, troop who were singing to him as he was leaving. Yeah, it was yeah. just like what? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it, it there's there's a there's there's a few scenes like that that like definitely speak to the fact that this is a single creator film because I imagine that other people would have advised otherwise. <laughs> anyway, look, it, it is what it is, right? Um, yeah. Um. Yeah, look, I, I also agree with Anager, um, in that, like, I, I think, um, Wonder Woman in particular, like, th- this, I have a lot of goodwill towards Gal Gadot, but I, I definitely, more than some of her other films, I, I definitely felt her acting was, um, yeah, was, was not particularly good in this film. Right, there were there were certain scenes where I'm struggling to rem- to remember the exact scenes, but there are certain scenes where she's supposed to say stuff or supposed to have like a witty quip or something, and just the way she delivers it is really weird and flat, and it takes you immediately out of the scene. Look, it doesn't help that I, I think a lot of the dialogue in this film is not particularly well written either. But yeah, um, yeah. Jerry, do you have anything to add about kind of like the overall plot? of this film like did you was there anything in particular that you liked or disliked about the way this film was like the plot elements and the character elements of this film were put together no i think as everyone noted it's it is overstuffed it's imagine if the imagine if instead of making standalone thor and captain america movies uh the entire origin stories for both those characters were stuffed in the first avengers that would have made the entire experience of watching that first avengers film so much more trying but i think where the the film falls falls down at many points but one of them i think is it has a problem with villains uh because even though steppenwolf in this incarnation is a vast improvement on the version of steppenwolf that appeared in the theatrical cut 
the motivations of both Darkseid and Steppenwolf are so thinly developed and so barely there compared to uh, the motivation for Thanos in um, at least Avengers Infinity War um, that you, you just kind of sit back and think to yourself, well, this is these are the sorts of generic comic book villains in comic book movies that we would have gotten three three decades ago. There is nothing there besides the fact that they are CGI creatures, which distinguishes them from the barely, uh, you know, from the not, almost non-existent, uh, inexplicable um, hus of general malevolence that we saw in comic book stories in days past. So I thought that was particularly disappointing, given that um, uh, there was there was an opportunity here, I think, to go back and flesh out these villains and and give them a bit more gravitas. I think that was one of the big problems with with Steppenwolf in the in the original theatrical cut. He was just this non-entity. He turned up. He wasn't. He had no presence. He had. There were no real motivations. He was just here to take over the world. And the same problem afflicts this version of um, of the story. <clears throat> I think um, you, you didn't think it was a look. I mean, I, I don't disagree with you, right? Like, I, I agree that Steppenwolf is still a weak villain. Um, do you feel like what they did with his character though helped a little bit? Like, look for me personally, I think visually he was a lot better, right? I thought he looks awesome. Visually, yeah, look, right. the character design is is much improved. The the sort of weirdly intelligent armor that he wears, um, intelligent or sentient armor that he wears, is is a vast improvement on on the way he was designed the in the theatrical cut. But you know the fact that <clears throat> so he's meant to be this guy who let his boss down, um, you know, a long long time ago, and has been trying to work his way back into the good graces of Darkseid. Look, I suppose that's. I suppose that's something, but like, why does he want to work his way back into Darkseid's good graces? What is it about, what is it about being in Darkseid's camp that's mm. worthy? Of mm. That's true. Trying so hard to be back, back in the club, and what is what is Darkseid's grand scheme anyway? And like, I'm sorry, but the the moment the moment he the words anti-life equation were uttered in this movie, I, I, I know they have. They have their origins in the in the DC mythology, but I almost fell off my seat laughing. I just thought, this has to be the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Like, we're all fighting over what? Uh, we're all fighting over a bit of maths that's been inscribed on the face of the planet. I just couldn't believe that that was what uh, was was ultimately uh, the grand prize for Darkseid and Steppenwolf. Um, <clears throat> so, I don't know. I just thought. Yeah, they, look, I, 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 I agree. Look, I, I do feel like that um, Darkseid is very enigmatic in this film. You're 100% right. It's kind of unclear what he does, right? But the one thing that Schneider is very good at is creating atmosphere, right? I think Schneider is very good at creating atmosphere not without a lot of substance, right? And so with Darkseid, I think he's created quite a... He looks sort of foreboding and badass, right? Like, you kind of look at... There's a scene right at the end, right, where you kind of... He's standing there, and you kind of see all of his armies, right? And for me, like, I'm like, yeah, okay, that looks pretty badass, right? Like, he looks like a bad dude. But you're right, like, in ter beyond that, there's not really anything 
there, right? Like, he's just this big bad guy who has destroyed 100,000 worlds or whatever. But there's no discussion about, well, why is he doing this, right? Like, I mean, with the Marvel films, why Thanos is doing it is established, like, immediately, essentially, right? Like, his rationale is, like, I mean... Whether it's sound or not is a separate thing, but he has a rationale, right? Like, here, Darkseid is just a big bad guy. And you're right, like, that is, like, that harkens back to, um, you know, 80s, 70s, 80s comic book style style writing. Um, to, to your point, Jory, about the anti-life equation, yeah, I, I also agree that it, it, it was a weird sort of thing to introduce. And in fact... Um, then I'll be interested in getting other people's views on this. I, I actually got really confused by it because um, I, I didn't... So basically in this film, there's a scene relatively early on where... Um, a scene not in the in the Josh Whedon version of this film where um, Wonder Woman explains kind of Darkseid's history with planet Earth and how, like... In the past, all these gods and men and, like, Aquamen all got together and Amazonians and they kind of fought off this invasion. And from Darkseid, so they, like, beat him up and then he buggers off. And what I couldn't tell was that in that scene, in that sort of flashback scene, there's a moment when Darkseid kind of slams his axe or whatever it is onto the uh, onto the Earth and this, like this pattern kind of comes out, right? And there's, like, I think this Omega signature or something like that on it. And then subsequently, later in the film, Steppenwolf also does a similar sort of thing to reveal this sort of pattern on the ground. And that's when Steppenwolf goes, oh, the anti-life equation is here. So what really kind of confused me was, why does Darkseid not know where the anti-life equation is? Because, does he not remember? Did he get, like, dementia or something? Because... He literally had his only defeat ever on planet Earth. How could he not remember? That's kind of where he left this, whatever the anti-life equation was. That really kind of confused me. Like, am I interpreting this right, or am I missing something? I'm, I'm not no, sure. You're absolutely, you're absolutely right, and it is it is absolutely befuddling why it is that Darkseid, who's been here before, who got his ass handed to him, uh, doesn't remember that this is the one place, this is that planet, and... And that planet is houses the the anti-life equation, whatever that may be. Um, I think the anti-life equation is a is a manifestation of one of the weird quirks about this movie. That is, that so much of it is actually setting up a sequel that will never be made. Mm. With the entire epilogue, um, that sequence in the, the, the that flash forward sequence with the Joker, it, that wasn't just footage that. Um, Snyder filmed in 2016, 2017. That was that was new footage. That was footage filmed, uh, you know, over the last few months, um, with uh, Jared Leto being directed over Zoom by Snyder. Is is so, that true? Because yeah. so there's a scene at the end where Martian Man. So this is Martian Manhunter, right? Like that is also yeah, a really that, weird that, addition. That, but that too is new because if you if you watch that scene. Uh, ben Affleck is so much thinner than he is. Yes, I noticed that. I was like, did Ben Affleck like... <laughs> yeah, anyway, so that that was a new scene. That's what you're saying. Yeah. And you're like, why... Warner Brothers has, a, has already yanked control 
of this franchise from Zack Snyder. And in the, even in the aftermath of the relative success of this movie when, it's, when it debuted on HBO Max, they've issued press statements saying there is not going to be a sequel. Justice, Justice Leagues 2 and 3 are not going to be made. And yet Snyder persisted in, in filming these basically teasers for movies that will never be made. Yeah. And you're like, why? Yeah, yeah. Look, I, I, I have a theory. I, I kind of ha- I have a theory about that. And I, I think, like, what he's done there is actually very Zack Schneider. Like, I, I do want to talk about about that a little bit later. But, yeah, I, I, def- I get your point. It's, it is kind of weird. I didn't know they were new scenes, to be honest. I didn't realize they were new scenes. But the inclusion of them, I feel, is very Zack Schneider. Um, before we get on to talking about the specifically um, Zack Snyder stuff, um, I also wanted to talk about... Um, so, like, I, I made, made a point earlier that I think that the dialogue is quite bad here, right? Um, I don't know if you guys agree with me or not. Um, I wanted to talk about a specific example that really got my goat. Like, I... I, I for whatever reason, this scene just it just immediate it took me out of the film right at a very important point in time. So, um, so look, and again, I, I think we're being like we're being negative here, but I think overall we kind of all enjoyed the film. There's just there are problems with the film. This is not a perfect film, as we said, right? So overall, I think we still kind of enjoyed it, but we're talking about it in the negative mainly because you know it's probably more interesting to talk about, right? So. I guess for me, there was a moment right at the climax where Flash runs back in time. And um, I wanted to sense check this with everyone because when he runs back in time, he says this thing which is supposed to be emotional. And it, for me, it just, I, I didn't understand why, how it linked to anybody else, anything else. Because as he's running back in time, as he runs faster than the speed of light or whatever it is, right? He basically says something like, Dad, um, like, you know, I want you to know that I was one of the best of the best or something like that, right? And for me, it just struck me as like a really, like, odd piece of dialogue that didn't really join with the rest of the film. Like, maybe I'm just being pedantic here, but like, because for me, it was kind of like, Okay, you're trying to be emotional at this point in time, right? You're trying to establish that there's some sort of emotional reason why Flash is doing this. But what he says there is completely incongruent to kind of his, like, what has been shown on screen in terms of his relationship with his father, right? Like, because what we see of Flash's relationship with his father is that his father is actually already proud of him. His father is like, you're a great kid, and like... All I want you to do is to move on with your life. Don't spend your life being obsessed over me being in jail because, you know, I was wrongfully um, locked up in jail, right? So basically, it's implied that Flash's father is wrongfully locked up in jail for the murder of his mum, right? And Flash has basically dedicated his... Like, Barry Allen has dedicated... is dedicating his life to try to get his dad out of prison. So, like, in his interactions with his dad, his dad seemed like a really loving guy and he's like... You know, I love your son, and you know what? Just move on. It's fine, right? I just want you to move on with your life, right? At no point does he say, 
I'm not proud of you, and I don't think you're making them... Like, as in, it's it's just like, it's a really bizarre thing to say at that point in time, right? And what really makes it even weirder, that piece of dialogue, is that, like, um, a few seconds later, he makes the point... He also, like, Flash subsequently says, oh, you can make your own future, right? I'm going to make my own future because he runs back in time and he basically, because the mother boxes have joined together and have killed everybody, but Flash runs back in time, like, touches Cyborg and basically rewrites history, right? So if he had only just said, yes, we can remake our own future, I kind of feel like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Because really, I mean, his dad is talking about, like, him forging his own future, right? And I'm like, yeah, okay, those two bits of dialogue make sense. But the dialogue about, like, Dad, be proud of me because I'm one of the best of the best, is just like, yeah, it completely, weirdly incongruent. And for whatever reason, it just completely, it took me out of that, out of that scene, right? Wasn't he he just saying, Dad, look, I am living my best life. Like, I am, you know, I I, I have lived. I I am achieving these amazing things with these people. So you don't have to worry that I have wasted my life doing nothing with it. Yeah, I think if you interpret, yeah. So for whatever reason, I didn't really interpret it like that, right? So it's good that, like, it didn't, it obviously didn't affect you in the same way, right? But... Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I kind of wanted to talk about this because it was, it's just something that's been kind of bugging me, right? Like, I was yeah. like, why is it? Anyway. I think it me. It wasn't so much the line, was the, but the fact that somehow every single one of the members of the Justice League, perhaps with the exception of of Wonder Woman, had daddy issues. Um, that's, so, is that true? When we yeah, think about so, that. So, so... Um, Aquaman has mummy issues, yeah, issue not daddy issues. Or dealing with the dealing with the shadow cast by a father. So we have Super, we have Superman uh, going onto his going onto the the ship that brought him to Earth, and hearing the respective voices of Russell Crowe and uh, Kevin Costner uh, telling him to 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 to, to realise his his full potential and be who he is destined to be, and 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 save humankind because we're all worth it. Um, kind of Revlon style, and um, and then you have you, you have Barry Allen's relationship with his with his father. You've got Cyborg's supposedly tense relationship with his absentee father, who who's turned him into this Frankenstein type creature. Um, at one point, um, it might be Diana Prince who says that uh, that Thomas Wayne would have been proud of Bruce, um, like. It was. It's almost as if the whoever wrote the screenplay actually didn't know a way to um, wasn't in a position or didn't have the skills to give each of these people not just a different backstory but a different emotional arc. Mm. Um, yeah. So yeah. they all they all got given the same emotional arc somehow resolving some some part of their their issues with. The legacies of their father, or the, the the or some broken down aspect of the of their relationship with their father. Yeah. Uh, and it just it just spoke to the fact that so much in this screenplay is wholly and utterly generic. And really, to the extent that this film 
hangs together at all. It's largely off the back. I, I can't believe I'm saying this. It's Zack Snyder. It's yeah. largely off the back of Zack Snyder. Yeah, agreed, agreed, yeah. Flash is kind of like the Spider-Man of the group, right? He's always, like, really in awe of the rest of yeah. the group. He he's like they're the cool the cool guys and like I'm like wow being intru- like I'm being like brought into this cool group and so that line I was the best of the best to me he was just saying look I was part of this amazing group mm. it just seems so consistent with his attitude okay how- okay <laughs> interesting okay look I, I I take that maybe I interpreted that incorrectly yeah but um well interpreted differently yeah but um yeah. It could be totally right, but I guess yeah. because we interpreted it this way, yeah. it didn't, it didn't yeah. jar. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, yeah, I think, look, to to add to Jerry's point, though, as well, like, even Aquaman, the way Aquaman is set up in this film, he's really mad at his mum for abandoning him. So it, it's not like... So you're right, Jerry, because all of them basically have, like, some sort of parental figure issue, right? Like, whether it's father or mother. Like, they, everyone kind of has that sort of issue. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting when you think about it like that, actually. Um, yeah, I mean, look, before we, we finish talking about this, this, like, the plot and the characters and that sort of thing, um, I, one of the things that I also thought about in this, as I was watching this film, and I'd be interested in your thoughts as well, is um, really how poorly... Um, Man of Steel and Batman versus Superman set this up, right? Like, I, I genuinely feel that, like, if Batman versus Superman, it, even Man of Steel, like, for me, like, Superman is not as, like, engaging a character because in Man of Steel, he was not a particularly good, likable person, right? And that kind of carries through in some ways to this to this film as well right like it, it still really bothers me that in man of steel like you have this superman who is basically taught that he is um he should hide himself like his earth father basically teaches him that he should hide himself away because people are going to like um be mean to him if he like reveals himself and I feel like a lot of that sort of angsty sort of character still... I mean, Superman's character is not massively explored in this, but it really grates me kind of the way, like, it kind of... His character kind of tr- transitions into this, like, almost messianic figure. Like, I, I, I feel like the two preceding films do not set him up as, like, this sort of truth-justice guy that he's kind of supposed to be. Um, yeah, anyway... Um, hmm. Okay, so is there anything else we want to have a chat about in terms of the overarching plot and the characters? Jerry? Mags? I don't know if this is about overarching plot or characters, but I just wanted to talk about um, the varying levels of like superhero strength that each of the superheroes had. Yeah. Why was Superman so much stronger and faster than he's ever been um, when he was resurrected? How was he able to be faster than the Flash 
who can run faster than the speed of light. <laughs> That's what I said. But Gerald said that apparently he always has been. And there was one comic where Flash and Superman had a race and Superman actually won. And that Superman is like the um, the equivalent of Captain Marvel, basically, in the DC, in the DC universe. So oh. apparently it always has been. But I also found it weird that he was so much more uh, powered up than everybody else. Yeah, like how is he stronger than, for example, Wonder Woman? Who is a god? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I found that weird as well. I agree. Steppenwolf, like it was like, you know, the ancient heroes, thousands of them, versus Steppenwolf and his parademons. And then, um, you know, millennia later, there's six of them against the same force. And they win because Superman equals thousands of superheroes. It sort of doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, like in particular, I kind of feel actually Wonder Woman's power level. Like, I think that they said Superman's power level is crazy high, but for whatever reason, Wonder Woman's power level kind of fluctuates up and down depending on the situation, right? Because yeah. like, they made her seem as strong as Aquaman. And then there are other, other scenes when she's clearly strong. Like, there's other scenes where it's like, like I thought she was pretty close to Superman in terms of strength, right? So yeah, it, it is. It is kind of bizarre. Like the power levels kind of do fluctuate depending on what they need, right? But look, and it, it works against the, the team dynamic if one person mm. actually do it all on their own. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Look, exactly. I mean, and Anna, you're right there because in the in the just in the Josh Wedden Justice League, that became painfully apparent because in, if if you rewatch really the Josh Wedden Justice League, Superman basically does everything, right? Like Flash becomes this like sidekick character, like because Flash doesn't even have this moment, right? As much as I like have an issue with the dialogue of that moment, like you know, Flash has his hero moment where if if he doesn't run faster than the speed of light everything falls apart right in Josh Redden Justice League Flash is sent off to rescue civilians <laughs> yeah, he's, isn't he sent off to, to rescue the one Russian family that's dumb enough yeah, exa yeah exactly yeah exactly right and then, and like, and then Superman what, does it even better so than him dumb, you're like screw them leave them there they're idiots yeah, but he has no role, really, right? Like, he's basically been relegated. Okay, Superman can just do everything, and then Flash can just bugger off, right? At least here, it's what I liked about the climax was that even though Superman is so strong, at the end of the day, in order to, like, separate the mother boxes and close this portal thing and to, like, stop this Armageddon, like, Cyborg and Flash needed to be there, right? You needed these extra hands kind of on board in order to, like, get everything to work. With the exception of Batman, who's just, like, yeah. shooting people and project which, managing. Which, which, rather, which rather reinforces the impression that I had um, watching Bat BVS and this movie both, in both versions, that Batman really has no place being in this universe. <laughs> I'm sorry, like, like, what, like, there, there, there are moments when it's played for laughs when, when he's yeah. asked, "What is your superpower?" and he says, "I'm rich." rich. Yeah. But like, really, <laughs> if you think about the character of Batman, you know, sort of, um, psychologically damaged rich guy who beats the shit out of people late at night in order to deal with uh, the, the open wound of this childhood trauma. It, it is, it is so 
I hesitate to use the word gritty and real because these are comic book characters, but it is comparatively gritty and real. That to think of Batman being in this universe that's occupied by gods, demigods, aliens, and so on. In other words, the big three, to use the language of um, of um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, um, aliens, androids, and wizards. Mm. He just has no place being in this universe, and he sticks out like a sore thumb. And the fact that Ben Affleck seems to have just phoned it in for this performance really doesn't help. Yeah, but you're right also, Jerry, in what you said earlier about him being the Punisher, because basically, in order to make him work in this universe, Zack Snyder's just turned him into the Punisher. Like, I said earlier that the Batman here does not feel like Batman, because everything he does is that he just whips out a gun and shoots people. Like, it's just like, what?! It feels complete... Like, if you think about classic Batman, right? What are the things that define Batman, right? Like, I mean, in terms of a superhero-y sort of he, view, he's right? The dark Knight, he's the Dark Knight detective. Exactly. And, and he hides a, and he ninjas people, right? Yeah, and he's not a detective. Like, he, 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 he doesn't figure anything out in this movie. No, no. He's not a detective. He just shoots people. Like, at one point... You know, so... I, at one point, there was a, there's a scene where... Um, I can't. Is it when like his one of his vehicles crashes, right? And the parademons are like sort of, sort of, try about to investigate this location where there's this crash, right? And I thought, oh, this was a plane. I think the plane crashes, right, when they're assaulting the thing, and it's all on fire, and the parademons are about to investigate the plane, right? Now. What happens in the film is basically they're about to investigate the plane and then Batman bursts out of it in his Batmobile and basically punishes everyone, right? With his Gatling gun that's mounted to his Batmobile. At that point, I thought, like, before that happens, I thought that Zack Snyder was going to do a Batman moment where he was going to do Batman things, where he was going to hide in the dark and basically snatch these parademons away. So, you know, like, they always have the scene in the Batman films where, like, there are the goons who are like sort of, like, in a warehouse or something, right? And one by one, they kind of disappear, right? And they get really scared, right? I thought they were going to, like, do that. And I was like, man, this is going to be hilarious and awesome if they actually do that, because at least he'll do one Batman thing in this film, right? Also, there, and, and Max, don't you think, to your point, that, like, the idea that Batman is so underpowered and Superman is so overpowered yeah. is even more nuts when you think, so why was there a Batman versus Superman? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's yeah. Anyway. Okay. Cool. I, I don't think there's anything. Is there is there is there anything else we really want to talk about in terms of plot around this film? No, I think we've covered. All. Yeah, yeah. I think we've more than covered that. So okay, let's move on to the Zack Schneider directorial um, indulgences. First thing I wanted to ask you guys, what did you think about the 4 by 3 aspect ratio of this film? Did that make an impact on you at all? Did you find it weird? It, it was weird to start with, but then you kind of got over it because, like, you were going to be there for four hours. If you didn't get over it with that period of time, then you're some sort of weird, you know, cinema, cinema snob, right? So, yeah. like, you know, you just get over it. Okay, you, you, you're there. It's this is this is how he wants to present his stuff. I mean, what is quite obvious is that 
you know, Snyder is first and foremost, above everything else, a visual stylist. Not only that, but when you look at how he, he uses slow motion, he isn't just a visual stylist. He is, as a lot of people have already pointed out, more of a painter than he is a filmmaker. Yeah. Like, he really does, he really does emphasize the still or slow moving tableau. I mean, the movie opens with one of those tableaus with, mm-hmm. the, with the death of Superman. So, um, to the extent that the, the four by three aspect ratio gives him what he feels is an appropriate canvas in which to compile these tableaus, then you fine, whatever, so be it. So I wasn't, I wasn't bothered by, by that at all. I, I definitely felt it was weird. Cause I remember when I first, when I switched on this film, I thought that like, is there something wrong with the version of this film that I'm watching? Like I, I, I had no, I was like, what, why is, why, why does this seem so weird? Right. Um, and then I actually thought that the version that I was watching was like not properly compiled or something like that. Right. And I tried starting the film again because I was like, there's something wrong with my software. <laughs> but, and then subsequently, it was only subsequently that I was told that no, 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 he chose to film this in four by three. Um, I mean, I find it interesting, right? Do you think he would have actually... If it, this had been to the cinemas, would he have released it in 4 by 3 in cinemas? I, I don't... Not, 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 not generally. I think there would have been IMAX viewings, which would have been in a close to 4 by 3 aspect ratio. Is, is this why Is this why he fil- filmed it in 4 by 3 from yeah, IMAX? He, for, for, for BVS, he used IMAX cameras for certain sequences and got a real kick out of that. Hmm. So... Um, he thought this gives me an appropriate canvas that shows not just that shows more in the frame, and so um, that's why that's why for this movie um, he thought fit to to uh, deploy the four by three aspect ratio. Mm. So it, just to be just to be clear, it had nothing to do with the fact that Warner Brothers suspected that most people would be watching the movie on iPads, uh, which <laughs> have, which which have four by three aspect ratios on their screens. Yeah. Um, it has everything to do with Snyder, his love of IMAX, and his 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 you know fetishistic commitment to um, these massive tableaus. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so second question I had for you guys: Did you guys ever get sick of the slow motion or not? Yes, one hundred percent. If 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 this was my first Zack Snyder movie, then yes, but. I'm so sort of like accustomed to his idiosyncrasies that I was like, oh, well, here we go again. And having recently watched quite a few John Woo movies, um, his use of slow motion actually isn't any more um, bizarre than what John Woo did. So um, I was I was cool with that. I think slow motion needs to be used sparingly and in any in any circumstance. So yeah, he uses it everywhere. Like. Like it's hard to find a scene without slow mo. The, the, the funniest use of it is when Lois like gets a cup of coffee and walks down the street. So okay, like you know, I so Mags, you found it super annoying, did you? I did. It was just it. Oh. <laughs> it just added to the brooding emo. I agree, boy. Locked in his room. Yeah, yeah. You 
But look, as someone who used to be a teenage boy who was locked in his room reading comic books, right? Like, I... Look, there was a moment... Like, there's sometimes these weird psychological states you get into with films. And that, like, with this film, I basically got to the point where I'm like, yeah, I get it. I get why he's using the slow-mo, right? (laughs) It's like I entered this zen trance. Like, my life started going in slow-mo as well. And I got into this zen state. I was like, yeah, I get why Zack Snyder uses this so much slow-mo. That's really badass. (laughs) Basically, it just comes down to, like... You know, are there, I, I think that philosophic... Look, I, I don't know. I think this is the philosophy behind it, right? I think the philosophy behind it is that he loves comic books so much, right? He's definitely... Look, 100%. The thing that comes across from Zack Schneider is that he loves comic books. Whether he really, like, gets the depth of comic books is a, a separate question, but he loves them, right? He genuinely is a fan, and I, I like that in a film creator, Right. And my sense is that what he's trying to create in those slow motion scenes is that, you know, in comic books, you have these big splash panel scenes where it's like you see the hero in like this particularly cool pose or something like that. That's the that's the entire point of the slow-mo, right? To capture that cool kind of pose, right? To capture those sorts of badass moments that you kind of get in the comic book experience. And he's trying to get that comic book experience kind of onto film. I kind of get that, but it is like super gratuitous, and like you know, like there's a there's a final scene where, like I can't remember, like Stephen Wolf gets like kicked back into the portal, and then there's a slow mo scene of like Wonder Woman coming down and chopping his head off, and then his body goes through the portal and his head separates at the feet of Darkseid. It's like kind of all in slow mo, and for me that was like this is essential Zack Snyder right here, right? Super edgy. Oh my god, he cut off his head and he did it in slow mo as well, right? <laughs> and then the last scene of Darkseid's head, kind of like Darkseid's foot stepping on Steppenwolf's severed head. I'm like. Yeah, this is like teenage boy fantasy right here, (laughs) right? (laughs) Um, Yeah, okay. So, what else did I want to do? I want to talk about. Um, Okay, so um, the other, the final thing I kind of wanted to address was um, I think Jerry, you made a point earlier about how. it was kind of weird how they introduced the anti-life equation into this film, right? Um, my theory is actually, and I think this is Zack Schneider being a little bit gratuitous, I think his plan, like, when I look at this film, right, as, as someone who has read some, co- look, I'm not a comic book expert, but I've read some comic books, right? And what I see is that there are so many different big DC comic storylines running simultaneously through these films, right? So when I when I think about it, right, there is kind of the death and rebirth of Superman storyline that runs runs through this film, right? There is with like the epilogue and the whole like dark future sort of thing, there's like um there was a DC storyline called Injustice, right? Which is kind of based off video games, but like it's an Injustice 5 because it's implied that basically Superman is going to go crazy, right? Um, there is like a Flashpoint paradox, um, Flashpoint, 
right? Flashpoint was a big DC event in which the entire DC universe got rebooted and basically Flash had to, like, Flash ran back in time and basically had to change history. So, like, there was there's this whole Flashpoint thing that's going through it as well, right? So, like, I think there's there, there are definitely, like, a couple of other kind of story, like, major DC storylines that are kind of running through these films. And... I, I kind of feel like this is, this is for me, is where Zack Schneider becomes way too self, self-indulgent, right? Where he kind of wants to be true to the comic books and bring all of these elements, but then he kind of wants to do it all simultaneously, right? So it feels like he's got these favorite comic books that he has, or favorite comic book storylines. Um, like, for example, you know, old, dark brutal Batman from The Dark Knight Returns, right? Oh, I definitely want that storyline in there. So he has all these, like, as a comic book fan, he's got all these sort of storyline elements that he wants to include. But instead of selectively going, you know what, I'll do that later, or whatever it is, he's, and maybe it's because he's kind of realized that there's not going to be a later. He's kind of like just mashed them all into a single thing, and I'm just going to put it all down on the table simultaneously. And I think that is actually one of the weird things about this film. And I don't think it really works. And I think the anti-life equation is like the great example of that, right? Because it's like the anti-life equation comes from like a certain sort of storyline around Darkseid, right? But for it to fit in with like Flashpoint and like Injustice and like, you know, Dark Knight Returns and Death and Rebirth of Superman, it's like, it's just too much. It it feels like just, there's just too too much weird stuff going on simultaneously. And it becomes too self-indulgent, as is seen in the epilogue, which kind of feels extraneous, right? Um, Jerry, as someone who's read comics, would you, like, what are your thoughts on that? Look, I haven't, I haven't read as deeply into the DC universe as you have. I mean, I've, I've, I've only ever really read um, Batman stories with, with some occasional crossovers. So... Look, I don't. I, I have no invo- investment in relationship with, or particular love for the mythology that Snyder is attempting to lay out for the audience. But it just, it just, yeah, it, it, that epilogue really did come across as a as a bit of gratuitous geek wankery, and um, and it added nothing to the film. It reminded people how much they hated Jared Leto's Joker. Um, That's a good point. Actually, around the table, did we like Jared Leto as a Joker? Anja, did you did you enjoy his Joker edition? No, not really. Yeah, Mags. Um, no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and you know, and and sort of this. This that long conversation between Batman and the Joker, where you know Batman and I will fucking kill you. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> what, you? what the hell? So yeah. Stupid. It's like it's like Justice League and Mad Max merged together, and Batman became Mad Max. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. I don't get it. Yeah. yeah. And they had so many like false endings as well, right? Like you know there was the scene when like. Deathstroke rocks up to um, Lex Luthor's boat. Like, I thought that was the... <laughs> no, I, I actually literally thought the ending was when Joe Morton's tape runs out, that is the tape that um, 
that uh, Cyborg's father records runs out, and su- you see Superman going into an alley, pulling open his shirt to reveal the S. Yeah, that would and have been screen, a decent ending. Yeah, the yeah. screen fades, and I was like, "That's not a bad. That that's actually a pretty good way to wrap up this movie." Yeah. But then there yeah. was like 15 minutes more movie, and I just thought, <laughs> "Yeah, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> it was so yeah, it was so bizarre." Yeah. It's like I don't know when you run like a you do like a fun run. And they have the sign that says, you know, 100 metres to go or something. And, you, and you're like, oh, my God, it's only 100 metres. I can do this. I can do this. And then you realise that that 100 metre sign, some dude has just moved it to troll the runners that it's not actually 100 metres to go. That's what these false endings <laughs> feel like in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're almost there and you're yeah. not. Yeah. Because I, I, I looked at the, the – that – that part, part, whatever it is, part eight or nine or whatever it is, epilogue, right? That literally runs for over half an hour, right? It's it's nuts how long that thing runs for. So, um, do, do we think, okay, so before we end, do we think that Zack Schneider is actually going to get the chance to further this universe? And are we interested in exploring this universe further? Um, when when I first saw the nightmare flash forward sequence, I thought, "Hey, this, this could be a, this could be a movie uh, worth watching." I mean, if if we're gonna go for the you know Snyder dark take on all these superheroes, then we might as well go full evil Superman, right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it might be something worth watching in this. But then the more the more I've thought about it in, in the days since I've watched the film, uh, the less inclined I, I am to think that way now. So I think. I think I'm not. I don't think Warner Brothers is going to throw Zack Snyder a bone here. I don't think he's going to get the chance to do another one of these. And now I'm off the view. Nor should they, uh, simply because this has been a bit of a look. Despite the fact that this movie is a vast improvement on the theatrical cut, the overall project that is the Zack Snyder controlled DC extended universe has been a flaming red-hot disaster. And in light of that, um, and in light of the sort of poisonous relationship between some of the stars and Warner Brothers, not least of whom is Ray Fisher, who has just dumped a bucket of poo over Warner Brothers, I just, I just don't see this... I just don't see this thing continuing. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I think I'm... I'm probably in the same camp there, right? Like, I think this has been a really interesting experiment, and I'm actually really glad we live in these times where streaming is so important that you can have these sorts of experiments run, right? I I genuinely stand by what I said at the beginning. Like, I I think the fact that this film got, got made is unprecedented, and... You know, if we did not live in the times that we lived, in which it was released on streaming, this film would never. This four-hour film filmed in four by three. I don't think it would have ever been released in the cinemas. The only reason this got released is because we live in streaming wars land, and I'm kind of glad that it did. Like, it's this weird, interesting cultural novelty, right? Yeah. Um, Combination of that and toxic fandom, because let's face it, there were there were a whole bunch of toxic DC slash Snyder fanboys on the internet who picked up on the existence on a hard drive in Zack Snyder's bathroom or something 
of a black and white four-hour cut of this movie and, and, and barracked and abused and, you know, generally twittified uh, in the direction of Warner Brothers to get it released. Um, and, and, so, and so we have it. I don't think we are... We are I, look, the toxic fans are never going to be satisfied, but having said this, um, it's, this movie's out there now. Um, it only it, it cost Warner Brothers an additional seventy million dollars to finish this cut. Um, if if they were to make more movies, if they were going to give Zack Snyder the opportunity to make more movies, they would you know the the budgets would be, you know sort of in ex- look you'd be talking about half a billion for the next two movies. I just don't see Warner Brothers wanting to throw that that amount of money at this project. So I think it's dead in the water. Yeah, yeah. Look, I I would agree that it's set in the water. Look, the only look, I, I I don't necessarily agree with you, Jerry. That like, um, the fans that got this online were toxic. I think the term toxic fans gets thrown around a lot, and I think a lot like that toxicity is that labeling is driven a lot by the studios because the studios really hate these sorts of fans, especially in terms of like Star Wars and these sorts of films, right? I think. Yeah, I, I think there are probably elements, some people in there who are um, particularly vocal and um, potentially annoying, but I think toxic is a pretty strong sort of word, right? Um, I would say that they're very passionate and they annoy the hell out of the studios, right? And to be honest, I don't necessarily agree with their taste either in films sometimes, um, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I also agree with you that it's very... Um, I think it will be very unlikely that a sequel of this gets made. But, you know, as I said earlier, the fact that this even got made in the first place... I remember when... You, I think you were the one, Gerald, who told me that this film was being released. And I remember when you told me, I thought you were trolling me. I thought you were, like, making shit up to get a rise out of me, right? It was like, no, 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 this, this is for real. <laughs> this is actually happening. So... We live in a bizarre world right now. Anything can happen, right? So, <laughs> yeah. Um, is there anything else we is there anything else we want to discuss in terms of Justice League? Well, I think we're I think we're good. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, this is a long one, but I guess it was a four hour film as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, folks. I'll let everyone go. Um, thank you, everyone, for joining me. Um, this afternoon to talk about Justice League and hopefully we'll be back with something else soon. So, say bye everyone. Bye everyone. Bye. 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 Bye.